the World War II soldier turned to his mother, or to his mother, turned to his wife and, and his little son, and he said, I'll be back soon. And he headed out the door. Five years of war. And every day through that five years, the mother showed her little son the photograph of his, of his dad and said, you know, one day your daddy's going to be coming home. And then one day the little boy looked up at his mum and says, wouldn't it be great, mommy, if one day daddy would step out of the photograph? If he would step out of the photograph, out of the photo frame and be real. And I want to tell you, folks, 2,000 years ago, that's exactly what God did. When Jesus came, it was like God stepping out of the photo frame and onto the stage of humanity. And that's called theologically the incarnation, when God became flesh. When God stepped out of the photo frame out there and became flesh and real and in front of people's eyes. Jesus had arrived 2,000 years ago. How many of you are grateful for that? Jesus arrived, arrived on the stage on planet Earth. And we're going to look at that this morning. And just over a year or so ago, I had this experience, which in, in telling you the story, I don't want you to make it sound like I'm trying to be grand or anything like that. I'm really not. But I went overseas and I was speaking at a large church, the largest church I've ever spoken at, a couple of thousand people in the church, great people, know the leader really well, love the church. Only time I've ever been there, but I've met the leader a few times. And um, it's a big church and they really like to honour the people that go and speak there. And so they sent me um, this uh, piece of paper, which was a rider. It was called a rider, okay? Which I only heard, or I thought only rock stars got these. And it basically was two sides of A4, where I had to fill in this, this form of everything I wanted when I went there to speak. So not only do I want water, but what kind of water do I want? Not only do I want coffee, but what kind of coffee do I want? And it went on and on and on. And I was really overwhelmed by all this different stuff. Then when I went to the church, and they're a great church, this is in no way a criticism, they treated me like royalty. It was amazing, okay? It's about honouring people, and I get that. But then when I spoke at the first service, at the, in between the first service and the second service, they took me to a green room where in the green room was every kind of food and drink imaginable, okay? And they said, now, we'll bring you coffee. What kind of coffee would you want? And you can have more options than Starbucks. And as I said, I just said to them, listen, this is really great and I get what you're doing, but would it be okay if I just went and got coffee with everyone else out in the foyer because I'd really like to talk to some other people? That's not to try and make me sound great. I just felt it quite overwhelming. But it made me realise that if people are treated like that long enough, they would begin to believe something and it could mess with your heart. Do you know what I mean? Because you see, it's not often that a rock star would step off the stage and sit with their fans. It's, not often, it's never possible, it never happens that a movie star would step out of the screen and have popcorn with you. Or that a king and queen would get off their throne and sit down with you, cosy up on the sofa and watch EastEnders with you. It's, it's inconceivable to think that Messi, who's a footballer, by the way, would leave the new camp and have a kick around in Liso's Park with you and I. It's just, not, it's just not possible. We can't compute that that would happen. And yet, Christmas is all about the fact that God, the creator of the universe, stepped out of the photo frame and stepped onto planet Earth. Isn't that amazing? Stepped out of the photo frame, off the screen, off the stage, off the throne, and sat down with us. Amazing. And I want to remind us all today of what we're about to celebrate in a few weeks' time, which is the defining moment in the history of the world. And I know as Christians, we talk about the cross and Easter, and of course that is. But there would have been no cross without the incarnation. 
Without Jesus being born on planet earth, there could be no cross. So that moment when Jesus is born, when God steps out of the photo frame onto the planet earth, onto the stage of humanity is the defining moment in the history of the world. And what I want us to do this morning, and some of you may not consider yourself to be Christians, that's absolutely fine. I hopefully want to talk to you, but I really want to talk to those of you also who do say that you're Christians, because I want to talk about how do we make the most of this Christmas season? How do we not get hijacked by the secular agenda that is going on in our culture and in our world? And how do we, do we understand and embrace fully this defining moment of the incarnation of Jesus Christ? And to do that, I'm going to get all theological on you for a moment. Is that okay? It's only a brief moment. It's only a brief fleeting moment. Well, about 20 minutes of it. And I'm going to get theological and then we're going to get practical. So if you've got a Bible, I would love you to turn to John chapter 1. The words will come up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. But this is, I think, one of the greatest chapters of spiritual truth ever written. And to try and understand this, okay, we need to understand a little bit about the context and the background. Now, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're all written um, around Jesus, but from a slightly different perspective. So Matthew speaks to the Jewish mind, okay, and the Jewish understanding very often. Mark is the active gospel, okay? It's, the, it's quick, it's the events, it's what happened. Luke is, is about history, it's about facts, it's about details. John is all about the theology. It's much broader than a lot of those other gospels as well. And we've got to understand that Christianity grew up within Judaism. Jesus was a Jew. The early disciples were Jews. The history, the tradition, the hopes, the expectations, the culture was all Jewish. But when the Apostle John writes his gospel, okay, which was written after probably the other three, then he's writing not just to the Jewish mind, but to the Greek mind, the non-Jewish mind, the Gentile mind. So that's the background. And then he writes these incredible, incredible words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. It's a different John. That's John the Baptist that we looked at last week. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives life to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Isn't that incredible? And you know, just that first phrase, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. We could stay there for weeks just on that one phrase. We won't, all right? We won't. But this is an incredible passage of Scripture. But from the Jewish background, when John says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was, what's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. We get that. We get you thought about Jesus. Why doesn't he just say, in the beginning was Jesus? Why doesn't he just say that? Because to the Hebrew mindset, words are really, really important. They're not just sounds. Words have significance and value. And in the Hebrew language, there are fewer than 10,000 words, whereas in the Greek language, there are around 200,000 words. Very few words 
a lot of words. I'm not even going to make the comment about the difference between a man and a woman. I'm not even going to do that. I just have done that. But this whole idea that there are so few words in Hebrew, because to their mindset, words are precious and sacred. And that term there, word, is written in Greek, because John writes in Greek. But that term that he writes in the original language, the, the term is called logos, which means word, or it also means reason. In the beginning was the reason. In the beginning was the word. And to the Jewish mindset, words are creative and powerful. That's why, you don't, that's why you're very careful about the words that you say in the Jewish understanding. So there's, a, there's a worship song, some of you know, uh, Matt Redman wrote called, Let My Words Be Few. It's taken from the Bible. It's this whole understanding that there's something sacred and precious about words. And um, the Bible says in Genesis that, that God created through the power of his word. He said, let there be light and there was light. So it's like in the beginning was the voice. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the reason. And John is saying to every Jewish mind, in the beginning was Jesus. The word, the reason, the voice, the life. But to the Greek background, their mindset is slightly different. Their view of the world is that the world is in a state of perpetual flux and chaos. The philosopher Heraclitus um, described this with his famous analogy that, that you can't step into the same river twice because, because things are different, because it's all in flux. And their understanding was that the word, the logos, was the gods and their reason governed everything. So it's a similar thing to the Jews, but then very different. Because what John says parts company with the Greek mindset in this. When John says that the word, the logos, the reason of God became flesh, that's where the Greeks say, whoa, hang on a minute. That flesh, their understanding of flesh, humanity, is it's a prison. Okay? And we want to be released to be heavenly and everything on earth is a prison and it's kind of evil. And even the early church struggled with this concept of Jesus being human. The word used for flesh is the Greek word sarx, the same word that Paul uses in his letters when he talks about uh, uh, sinful, weak flesh, stuff that we do wrong. Same word. And here comes then maybe, with that background, that maybe the greatest single verse in the New Testament, I'll give you John 3.16, maybe rivals it. But this verse, the next verse in verse 14 is phenomenal. John says this, with that as a background, the word, the reason, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. How many of you are excited about that this morning? What an amazing verse. If you're not a Christian this morning, you might think, what on earth is this fellow going on about? Listen, what we're saying is this, that God who created the universe and how he did that is open for conversation and lots of different opinions. But the God who created the universe loves us so much that he's not just going to stay in the photo frame. He's not just going to play the music from the stage. He's not just going to deliver edicts from the throne. He loves us so much that he'll step out of that and onto planet earth so that we can see who God is and we can get to know him. And not only does God want us to connect with the divine nature of God, but Jesus came so that we could not just become divine, but so that we can become fully human. One of our problems, I think, as Christians is that we think that a Christian life is all about how can we be more like God, and it is. But we need to be so how can we become more like who we're meant to be? Because God has created us to be fully human. That's why Jesus came in the human, in humankind. And, and we saw, John says, his grace and we saw his truth and we saw his glory. And Jesus teaches us what it's like to be fully human. 
Jesus is such a, this is such a defining moment, not just because of what Jesus goes on to do in 33 years' time at the cross, but for what he does by landing on planet Earth, he shows us that it is possible to live a fully human life, to be human as God intended us to be. And I don't know about you, but when I look at my world right now and our world, all that's gone on this last week, all that's going on as we speak, we live in a messed up world, don't we? And we need to know what it is to live fully human as God intended us to live. And Jesus arrived, not just to connect us with the divinity of God, but to help us to embrace our humanity, to make us fully human. And the word that John uses for seen, we've seen his glory, means actual physical sight. Not mystical, ethereal or conceptual. This is what a lot of people think about God. They think that God's just this kind of, this, this, this force, this, this vague, you know, Star Wars is coming out soon. I won't get into that because I'm not much of a Star Wars fan. All right. But I, I do think we need to set up a little bit of a ministry to those who are totally obsessed by Star Wars. Okay. And get, get that force out of them. But, but this whole idea that there's a force out there, you know, that's not Christianity. That's not Christianity. You know, Jesus comes along and says, hey, this is, you see me, you've seen God. And John says, we've seen him with our actual eyes and we've seen his glory and his grace and his truth. We've seen the word, we've seen the reason and it's Jesus of Nazareth. And I want to just talk about those three words there that John says, full of grace and truth and he talks about glory. You see, these three things that Jesus brought onto planet Earth shows us what God is like, but it also shows us how we can live our lives if we're connected to him. And the first word is he talks about grace. This is one of those really difficult to define words. In its original sense, it means beauty or charm. But we understand grace to be the undeserved favour of God. And I thought, how could I illustrate this for you? And I thought about a simple illustration. Imagine me, okay, and I'm driving, clapped out old car, and, and I'm driving down the street, and I get pulled over by a police officer because I'm driving 48 miles an hour in a 40-mile-an-hour zone. Now, I know that's impossible to imagine that I could ever do that. Look at my driving license, and you'll see that's not quite that impossible. But, but that happens, okay? And so it happens, and, and I'm pulled over, and I wind the window down, and the police officer comes, and some of you are reliving it because you've had this experience as well many times, some of you. And, <laughs> and, he, and, and he looks at me, and I say, Officer, what can I do to help you? And he said, did you realize that you were driving 48 miles an hour in a 40 mile an hour zone? And I said, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that. I was on my phone. Don't say that. <laughs> Don't say that. That's illegal, dangerous. Do not ever do that, okay? I said, I'm, officer, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that. Now, justice is he gives me a ticket because I was breaking the law. That's justice. I get what I deserve. Mercy is he lets me off. He said, listen, you were breaking the law, but you know what? I'm going to let you, oh, that's mercy. Thank you, officer. I love you. You are, uh, look. now grace, justice is I get what I deserve. I get the ticket. Mercy is he lets me off. Grace is he says, do you know what? I'm not going to give you a ticket. And can I just say, your car's clapped out. Would you like my brand new Audi? Come on. That's grace. Undeserved favor. Now, I'm not saying that to be a Christian means you're going to get a brand new Audi. But that concept of justice is getting what we deserve, mercy is being let off, but grace is when we're given so much more than we ever deserve. And John says, when we saw Jesus, we saw grace. Grace has arrived on planet Earth. And then he talks about truth. And the truth means that which is open to view, that which is unconcealed, that which is transparent. You know, the Bible says that truth sets us free. But here's the thing with truth. It's a little bit like light. You, know, you can resist it. Darkness can resist light. You know, and it can't overcome it, but it can push back. 
And with truth coming into the world, it can be resisted. It can be resented. It can even be rejected. But when Jesus came to planet Earth 2,000 years ago, that defining moment in the history of the world, truth had arrived on planet Earth. And then he says, glory. Jesus was God's glory on the earth. Now, glory is an incredibly important concept to the Hebrew uh, mindset. The Hebrew word for glory is Shekinah. And it means the kind of uh, that which dwells, the visible, tangible presence of God. And they understood that from their history and in, in the wilderness and, and in the tabernacle and in the temple and moments when they understood the visible presence of God. But John says, hey, they were moments. Now it's in a man. When Jesus comes, glory has come on to planet Earth. Glory has arrived. So there's a little bit of theology as a background. So what? How do we respond to that? What difference could that or should that make in your life and in my life this Christmas time? It must change the way we see things. You know, I love all the stuff around Christmas. I really do. The German market, you know, food, family, friends, presents, the whole build up, all that. I love it all. But I think it's fair to say that most of us in this room would admit that Christmas does feel a little bit like it's been hijacked by a secular agenda. Is it only me that thinks that? And and sometimes I think as Christians as well, and I realize not all of you would say that, but as Christians, you can feel actually, I think even I'm kind of getting hijacked by that as well. And we've almost like kind of sold out Christmas for 30 pieces of turkey and a couple of mince pies. You know, it can feel like that. So how do we ensure that that doesn't happen to us? How do we ensure that the defining moment in history, the incarnation of Jesus, is actually lived out in our lives every year, all the time? You know, I think the story of the inn and the inn and the innkeeper in the Christmas story is important because that inn was meant to house the presence of God. It was meant to be that place where the Jesus would be born and yet it was so busy, it was so overcrowded. I think in many ways it speaks about our lives, doesn't it? That, you know, our lives are so full that actually when God wants to come and presence himself, we haven't got any space. And I'm not saying it's full of evil stuff and bad stuff. It's just full of stuff. We're just so busy. And I know I'm like that as well. And we can be so busy and we can say about everyone else out there, you know what I mean? Don't miss the real meaning of Christmas. And yet we can miss it as well. And God can want to speak to us and presence himself and his grace and his truth and his glory. Yet our minds and our lives and our diaries are so overcrowded, we've got no room. So how this year, this season, over the next few weeks, do we make sure that you and I have got room to house the presence of God? I want that, don't you? And what I want to do is I want to give you four ideas, and they're not original to me. This is a blog written by a guy that I know called James Glass. He's, not, he's one of the Elam ministers uh, in our denomination, not related to John Glass, who's the leader of the movement. But he's a great guy, and he's got four great ideas that I read in his blog. And I want to pass them on because they're brilliant. I'll put some of my own thoughts around them. But these are his four points. The first one he says is this, prioritize people. That's how we can remain true to what Christmas is all about. Prioritize people. Yes, Christmas is all about Jesus, but Jesus is all about people. That's why he stepped out of the photo frame onto the planet Earth because he wanted to reach us. He didn't want to just shout from heaven. He wanted to reach people. You know that verse, John 1, 14 from the message says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Love that. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. So it's like God said, Jesus saying, the, the word, the reason, the life, the light of God stepped out of the photo frame and he moved into the neighborhood. He moved into our neighborhood. 
It's all about people. So I want to say to you this year, yes, enjoy your family and your friends. That's important. But what about other people in your neighbourhood? They're important too. And if we're really going to be carriers of this message of the defining moment of the incarnation of Jesus, it's got to include other people in our community, not just our family and friends. You know, we was... um, Recent, we, we've, we have neighbours uh, next, next to us and living in the same detached. We've had neighbours ever since we've moved in there. And recently they moved out. And uh, we got on fine with our neighbours, but we never really made a connection. We tried, but it just never really happened. So we, me and Alison, we decided that when the new neighbours move in, whoever they are, we're going to go right for it early on because we want to build a connection and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, three weeks ago, they move in. And I came back from work and, um, and the, the delivery van was there. So I thought, well, I'm going to go straight over and straight in here. Okay. And so I walked over to the guy and said, hi, I'm your neighbour. Great to see you. Welcome, welcome, blah, blah, blah. He says, I'm the delivery man, mate. <laughs> he, sa- <laughs> he says, they're in the house. So I went in the house, and there they were in the house, a youngish couple, younger than us, that's young, youngish couple, and uh, with one of the sets of parents. And so I go in, hey, I'm Leon, I'm next door neighbour, great to see you, blah, blah, blah. And they're all like, whoa, okay, that's really nice, that's really nice. So I walk out, think, right, done it, right from the start. Unbeknown to me, Alison came back from work later, and she got a bunch of flowers and a bottle of wine in her hands. She goes straight round. The other set of parents were there. She goes straight and says, hi, I'm Alison. I'm your neighbour next door. Here's flowers. Here's wine. Anytime you want to come round for a meal, blah, 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 blah. Great to have you with us. We haven't seen them for the last three weeks. We know they're there in the house, but they're not coming out. So it can backfire, okay? I think we might have gone to the other extreme here. They're like, they're those crazy people from next door. But I want to say to you, like, reach out to people in your neighbourhood. That's exactly what Jesus did. He moved into the neighbourhood because it's all about people. Reach out into the neighbourhood. What about inviting people to church this Christmas? Many of you have done that next Sunday. Amazing. But if you haven't yet, there is still opportunity. You know, statistically, I was reading some research this week. Last year, 36% of people in the UK said they wanted to go to church at Christmas. That's one in three. Less than one in three. That's amazing. I, I was inviting some people in the town that I'm getting to know um, uh, last week. And I think one of them is a maybe yes. One of them is a maybe no. But hey, we're just going to keep inviting. Because you never know. If it's one in three who says yes, it's worth inviting a few people. Because it's all about people, isn't it? It's all about people. And I want to say next Sunday is going to be fantastic. I'm so in awe of some of the talented people that we've got here in this church. You know, We had an idea for Christmas that we were working on in the summer. And it was the biggest thing that we've ever done Christmas, okay? We actually, I was listening to Christmas songs in June, all right, which is scary, all right? Really, yeah, it's scary, horrible. But we had this brilliant idea and we had it all put up and then the fire came. And the idea was so kind of big in terms of production that we couldn't do it. So we've had to readapt and, and to do some other stuff. But what the guys have come up with is going to be phenomenal. Okay, and what's going to happen in the hour and a quarter is that the first bit is very fun and very engaging. We've got some things that we've never tried before. They're a little bit risky, but we think they're going to work. Okay, yeah, we're very confident. Touch wood. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. That's the first bit. Then in the middle bit, there's going to be some involvement where people sing carols together. And then in the end section is the challenge of what the real meaning of Christmas is all about. It's going to be great. You're going to see the kids of our church in ways that you've never seen them before. Okay, it's going to be phenomenal. Really encourage you to pray and to invite people. It is not too late to invite people. There are three services that have tickets still available. And Christmas Eve, many, many people in our culture still want to go to a Christmas Eve late night communion service. There's going to be piano and some voices. It's going to be reflective. We'll sing traditional carols. But we'll talk about what the real meaning of Christmas is about. 
and really want to encourage you to invite people. So prioritize people. Secondly, prioritize prayer. If I'm too busy to pray, I am too busy. And I know that's a word to me, as well as maybe to some of us this morning. We cannot complain about Christmas being hijacked by a secular agenda if you and I are too busy to pray. We've got to pray. And I want to say, pray for your soul over this Christmas period. You might say, what? Pray that you don't get sucked into this whole thing that goes on in our culture that says, you know, you have to buy lots to tell people you really care about them. And you buy so much of stuff that they don't really want or don't really need. And it puts you into massive debt and it stresses you out. That's, that's a lie. And we get sucked in. Pray for your soul. Pray that over this Christmas period, your soul will be in awe and wonder at the incarnation of Jesus. And yes, you'll buy presents for family and friends. And yes, you'll enjoy food and all of that stuff. But you won't get sucked into all of that consumeristic trap, which actually can denigrate and degrade your very soul. Pray for your soul. Pray for your circles, your family, your friends. But pray wider than that for your community, for your church and for our nation. Our nation really needs it. You know, I saw so much this week on social media and I'm very careful about what I say about these issues, about the vote that happened on Wednesday. And I understand there's two really compelling arguments on both sides of the argument. But I have to say, if you're a Christian, please, please, the Bible says we should pray for those who are in leadership with us, whether we agree with their policies or not. That's what the Bible says. We should pray for peace. We should pray for those who have to make really, really tough decisions. And we should pray and support them. So let's pray for our nation, our world. Thirdly, prioritise praise. If there was ever a time to be thankful and grateful and exuberant, it's Christmas, isn't it? Isn't it? And I know Christmas is tough for people, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But as Christians, those of us that say that we believe in God, it's a time to prioritise praise, to really celebrate the fact that Jesus has come, that the grace, that the reason, that the truth and the glory have arrived on planet Earth. And then finally, fourthly and finally, let's prioritise the poor. Let's prioritise the poor. You see, I don't know whether you realise this, but Jesus was a refugee. And Jesus was an asylum seeker. And, uh, and when Jesus came, the gospel, yes, it's for those who are at the highest echelons of our society, but it's good news for the poor. And we have to be, if we're going to be incarnational people, we have to prioritise the poor. That can be through volunteering. Many of you have signed up to volunteer to help the Rotary as they collect money for their charities, which is great. Many of you are going to come and help us stuff the sleigh in the week uh, beginning the 14th, you know, after next Sunday. And that's great. And you're still not too late to do that. As we take the gifts that you put in the sleigh, and you can have a look at it, it's through there after the service. As we take that and make it into 500 gifts for our community, that's brilliant. But you know, there's other things you can do as well. On Christmas Day, there's going to be a Christmas Day meal in the back block of the building. OM Life Hope and several other people in the community are coming together and we want to support that. And if you know people who are going to be on their own Christmas Day and would like to come and have a meal, then come and talk to us. We can give them a ticket. But if you'd like to come and help on Christmas Day, you can do that too. You can sign up in the welcome area and they'll be only too grateful to receive your help. So we can volunteer to prioritise the poor. We can give through items like for Stuff the Sleigh and through cash. But also, you know, maybe this is one of the most powerful things. We can notice the poor. We can notice. I was chatting with, them, with Luke in between the services and we were saying how often I think, you know, folks that are in our communities 
often, you know, and, and maybe they're, they're, they're down on their luck and things are, are happening and maybe they're selling big issue or they're homeless or whatever. And sometimes we can do that when giving money. And that's important. But just to notice people is really, really powerful. A couple of weeks ago, um, me and Alison took two days off work, which is our tradition now. We take two days off work uh, in November and go and do all of our Christmas shopping in two days. It's the only way we can get it done. So we went away for two days Christmas shopping and it was going really well. Like we hadn't argued for 20 minutes or so on the first day. But then it got to a point halfway through the afternoon of the first day when Alison felt I needed some alone time. All right. Bless her. <laughs> she felt I needed to be on my own for a little bit. So we split up. Okay. Like not as in marriage. Do you know what I mean? But we split up. She went her way and I went my way, which was great because I needed to go and buy her some presents. So I'm getting her some presents and I've got them in the bags. And then I go back to put them in the car and hide them in the boot of the car. And the car was parked in a car park, which had steps going down. And as I walk down the steps, there's a homeless man just kind of resting on the steps. And as I look, everybody with their bags of shopping are stepping over the man to get to their car. And I'm not saying this to make me look good because most of the time I am so focused, I miss people. It's one of my real weaknesses. I'm so focused on what I'm doing, I can miss people. It's not that I don't care. It's just that I miss them because I'm focused on, on what it is I'm doing. But I felt the Holy Spirit whisper to me and say, stop and wait. Wait till everyone's climbed over him and then help him. So I waited till everyone had gone and then I went to this guy and said, hey, mate, and I chatted to this guy a little bit and I gave him some money and I said, I'd really love you to go and buy some food with that. He, oh, thank you, mate. I've had nothing to eat for days. And off he went. And so it took him off the steps and off that degrading thing of people walking over him. It was just notes in him. And I don't do that as much as I want to, but I do know it's powerful when we do it, isn't it? When we just notice the poor. When we just notice, and it's not just necessarily the physically poor, there's all kinds of poverty in our area and in our community, not just of those who are homeless or those, etc. There's all kinds of poverty if we could just notice it, because we're not too busy to notice people, to notice people. So today, this morning, we've got some time and we're going to worship. We're going to take communion together. We're going to worship God. We're going to thank God for his indescribable gift of Jesus. God who stepped out of the photo frame and onto the stage of Humanity. I'm going to ask the band if they would come back. And as we do this, we're then going to present ourselves to him. And we're going to pray and we're going to worship. And I'm aware that there are many of us in our own church community, those of you here this morning, and Christmas is incredibly traumatic for you. Some of you are heading towards this Christmas and you're dreading it. You're dreading it because of marriage breakup. You're dreading it because of family strife. You're dreading it because of health issues that are going on in your life. You're dreading it because of, you know, of January that will come around the corner and all that that means. And we want to hope and we want to pray rather that God, the God who came to bring peace, the grace and the glory and the truth of, of who God is will invade your life again this Christmas time. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you this morning for Christmas. But God, we thank you for the incarnation of Jesus, the defining moment when you stepped out of the photo frame and onto planet Earth. And God, I thank you for that. And Lord, as we head now into this another Christmas season, help us to be those who stay focused on who you are, that we prioritize people, that we're people of prayer who are praising and grateful and thankful and that we focus and notice on the poor. God, help us to do that, I pray. And Lord, now as we worship you, as we celebrate who you are, God, as we thank you for your incredible gift, God, fill our hearts with gratitude, I pray. And Lord, yeah, just, just fill this place with your spirit and your presence in Jesus' name. 
Amen.